This is Brother Michael A. Smith, a voice for Freemasonry, bringing to you the Short Talk Bulletin, published by the Masonic Service Association of North America every month since 1923. This, the Short Talk Bulletin podcast, is produced in cooperation with the MSA and is made possible with the generous support of a grant from the Grand Lodge AFNAM of Minnesota. This is Brother David Kahns of United Lodge No. 8, Brunswick, Maine, presenting to you Volume 30, Number 2, February 1952, Tool Symbolism, written by Brother Carl Cloudy. The essence of a symbol is its representation of something else than what it is. A stick is not a symbol of a stick. It is but a stick. But three sticks, properly arranged, become a triangle, and the triangle may be a symbol of a god or spirit which has no beginning or ending. This symbol cannot exist as a symbol without the thing symbolized. That which is symbolized has an existence not at all dependent upon the symbol. Geometry as a science of measurement is not dependent upon the letter G for its existence. The letter G, signifying the moral significance of geometry, could have not come into existence without the science from which it was taken. A few symbols and their origin may be so connected that neither can exist without the other. It is difficult to conceive of the American flag as existing without an America, and the unthinkable that America should have any other flag than the Stars and Stripes. The King of England is a symbol of the monarchy of his country, but he has an independent existence as a man. As a king, he would not exist without Great Britain, and Great Britain could, but doubtless never will, have any but a king or queen, both as sovereign and symbol of that sovereignty. All men depend upon symbols for much that they do, think, plan, are. The dollar bill is a symbol of a silver dollar, which is itself a symbol of a certain part of a day's work. A postage stamp is a symbol of a fee paid for a service. A check on a bank is a symbol of money in an account. The hands of a watch point to numbers which are symbols of the position of the sun with reference to the zenith. The red light at a crossing is a symbol of a police order to stop. The lifted hat is a symbol of faith that no blow will be struck where a helmet once protected, etc., etc. Freemasonry attaches a symbolic meaning to many tools, including some objects not usually so denominated. Generally speaking, a tool is an implement or device which either informs its users of facts, which his five senses would not otherwise easily or at all disclose, or which alter the shape, form, substance, or position of materials. The microscope and the telescope, for instance, are information-giving tools. They do not of themselves perform work. They enlarge and increase the power of sight. The 24-inch gauge of the Freemason does not perform any work. It substitutes facts as to length, breadth, and thickness for what otherwise would be but guess or judgment. The square, the level, and the plumb perform no work upon materials. They but inform their users of the position of materials and their orientation with the plane of the horizon. The hourglass of Freemasonry measures intervals more accurately than man's sense of time may do, but performs no labors. The globes, which are on top of the pillars, are providers of information. The setting mall and common gavel are performers of work. Their function 
is to multiply the power of the muscular arm and deliver a more powerful blow, which will move material, than the unaided arm can do. The mattock moves earth more quickly than can a man with hands not so equipped. The scythe reaps more rapidly and more accurately than man can pull the grain apart with his hands. The chisel cuts rock which unaided flesh cannot do. The sword provides its wielder with power to injure and kill an enemy or a wild beast in ways which the untooled man cannot accomplish. The trestle board and the compasses record information for the use of others. The compasses are both a measuring tool and a maker of circles which the unaided hand cannot draw. Philosophies and religions have always developed symbolism from appliances, tools and implements, whether these be informing or performing aids to human senses and bodies. The principal symbol of the Christian church is a cross, which was originally a tool for punishment and the infliction of pain. The lighted lamp, which is a tool aiding sight, has long been both philosophy's and religion's symbol of increase of knowledge. And from it, Freemasonry has borrowed light, further light, more light, as symbols to signify a greater learning and a larger wisdom. The use of tools is as old as mankind. The earliest were probably the eolists by which primitive man increased his powers. Stones which he found, rather than shaped, and by which he fought, by throwing, and also by which he slew animals and pounded wild grains and nuts for their succulent content. Came next the Stone Age, in which early man learned to shape his stones, spearheads, arrowheads, hallowed stones as mortars, and longer rounded ones as pestles. Larger stones, which became stone axes, both weapons and providers of firewood, were soon to follow. We think of primitive men as superstitious. They believed in signs, portents, found spirits both evil and good in everything that surrounded them, and by a process, as easy as it was inevitable, attached magical powers to their own implements as well as to trees, mountains, fire, the sun, water, storms, thunder and lightning, etc. Of the thousands of instances of personification of implements and the beginnings of tool symbolism, a few instances here will suffice. The Bible is full of them. For instance, How is the hammer of the whole earth cut asunder and broken? Jeremiah 50, 23, in which the hammer is used as a symbol. There is a curious contradiction between Isaiah 11:4, And he shall judge among the nations, and shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up swords against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. And Joel 3.10, Beat your plowshares into swords, and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. Both use the tools of war and peace as symbols. Freemasonry comments on the non-use of the iron in the building of the temple. The Old Testament is our authority. And Solomon sent to Hiram, saying, I purpose to build an house unto the name of the Lord my God. Now therefore command thou that they hew me cedar trees out of Lebanon, and the house of which King Solomon built for the Lord, the length thereof, was threescore cubits, and the breadth thereof twenty cubits, and the height thereof thirty cubits. And the house, when it was in building, was built of stone made ready before it was brought thither, so that there was neither hammer, 
nor axe, nor any tool of iron heard in the house while it was in building. So he built the house and furnished it and covered the house with beams and boards of cedar. And the cedar of the house within was carved with knops and open flowers. All was cedar. There was no stone seen. Old Testament, 1 Kings 5 and 6. A cubit was about 18 inches. A knop was an egg-shaped ornament. This fear of iron is very old. Authorities believe it came into being when iron was new, as savage minds usually fear what is new. Fraser, in his The Golden Bough, gives some instances. The ancients slew an ox as a representative of the spirit of vegetation. This they appear to have done in the Athenian sacrifice known as the murder of the ox. The sacrifice was instituted to procure a cessation of drought and dearth which had afflicted the land. Barley mixed with wheat was laid upon the bronze altar of Zeus Pelias on the Acropolis. Oxen were driven round the altar, and the ox which went up to the altar and ate the offering on it was sacrificed. The axe and knife with which the beast was slain had been previously wetted with water brought by maidens called water carriers. The weapons were then sharpened and handed to the butchers, one of whom felled the ox with the axe, and another cut its throat with the knife. As soon as he had felled the ox, the former threw the axe from him and fled. The man who cut the beast's throat imitated his example. Meantime, the ox was skinned, and all present partook of its flesh. Then the hide was stuffed with straw and sewed up. Next, the stuffed animal was set on its feet and yoked to a plow as if it were plowing. A trial then took place in the ancient law court, presided over by the king, as he was called, to determine who had murdered the ox. The maidens who brought the water accused the men who had sharpened the axe and the knife. The men who had sharpened the axe and the knife blamed the men who had handed these implements to the butchers. The men who had handed the implements to the butchers blamed the butchers, and the butchers laid the blame on the axe and knife which were accordingly found guilty, condemned, and cast into the sea. Roman and Sabine priests might not have shaved with iron, but only with bronze razors or shears. And whenever an iron graving tool was brought into the sacred grove at Rome, for the purpose of cutting an inscription in the stone, an expiatory sacrifice of a lamb and a pig must be offered, which was repeated when the graving tool was removed from the grove. As a general rule, Iron might not be brought into Greek sanctuaries. In Crete, sacrifices were offered to Menetimus without the use of iron because the legend ran that Menetimus had been killed by an iron weapon in the Trojan War. The Archon of Plataea might not touch iron, but once a year, at the annual commemoration of the men who fell at the Battle of Plataea, he was allowed to carry a sword wherewith to sacrifice a bull. To this day, Hottentot priests never use an iron knife, but always a sharp splinter of quartz in sacrificing an animal or circumcising a lad. Among the Avambo of southwest Africa, custom requires that lads should be circumcised with a sharp flint. If none is to hand, the operation may be performed with the iron, but the iron must afterwards be buried. Amongst the Mokis of Arizona, stone knives and hatchets have passed out of common use, but are retained in religious ceremonies. After the Pawnees had ceased to use stone arrowheads for ordinary purposes, they still employed them to slay the sacrifices, whether human captives or buffalo and deer. The old wooden bridge 
Pont Sublicus at Rome, which was considered sacred, was made and had to be kept in repair without the use of iron or bronze. It was expressly provided by law that the temple of Jupiter Liber at Furfo might be repaired with iron tools. The council chamber at Cyzicus was constructed of wood without any iron nails, the beams being so arranged that they could be taken out and replaced. In biblical times, potters were numerous because every household needed clay vessels, and clay is unbreakable. The demand was constant. There must have been a ceramic quarter in Jerusalem as well as guilds or families of potters in other places. Potters were of necessity high-grade men, for the art calls for creative skill. Some details of their craft have come down to us. Clay was kneaded at the pit by being trodden underfoot. Probably, there was additional kneading by hand at the pottery to keep it in workable condition. Jars and other utensils were made on a potter's wheel, worked by the feet so that the hands would be free from manipulation. When shaped, the vessel would be glazed, though water coolers were left unglazed, and then came firing to fix both form and color. What impressed both Isaiah and Jeremiah is the absolute dominance of the will of the potter over his clay, and the mystery of creative skill. In other words, pots and patterns were symbols, as well as vessels and art. In those days, as well as when Omar Khayyam, 12th century, wrote, With earth's first clay they did the last man need, and there, of the last harvest, sowed the seed, and the first morning of creation wrote, What the last dawn of reckoning shall read. And again, after a monastery silence spake some vessel of a more ungainly make, they sneer at me for leaning awry. What? Did the hand then of the potter shake? Whereat some of the loquacious lot, I think a Sufi pipkin, waxing hot. All this of pot and potter, tell me, then who is the potter, pray, and who the pot. Instances might be multiplied without end. In no land, time, clime, have tools not been used as symbols, personified, worshipped, made to represent other things than what they are. Freemasonry's tool symbolism, then, follows a similar word pattern. Behind our reading of virtues in square, level, and plumb, brotherly love into trowel and God in geometry is an old habit of mankind, a turn of mind common to savage and native, unlettered and learned, high and low, since the beginning of recorded time and history. If this bulletin serves no other purpose than to impress upon all who listen to it the venerable antiquity of the personification of tools and making them into symbols of something greater than they are, it will not have been delivered in vain. This is Brother Michael A. Smith, a voice for Freemasonry. And this has been the Short Talk Bulletin Podcast, produced in cooperation with the Masonic Service Association of North America for the purpose of providing a common stock of vetted Masonic information to all of the constituent lodges of all of the member jurisdictions, and is made possible through a generous grant from the Grand Lodge AFNAM of Minnesota, who have been engaging and inspiring good men who believe in a supreme being to live according to the Masonic tenets of brotherly love, relief, and truth since 1853.